0: Got your Bibles? Take them to 1 Thessalonians and chapter number 4, would you please? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to take a few minutes. We have uh, started in Genesis and working our way through the Bible on Wednesday nights, going through and looking at a book and uh, evaluating from the book. (laughs) Boy, I came right off the screen there. Did you see that right there? Walked around there. Someone's falling asleep at the wheel. Nonetheless, so we're, we're going through a book of the Bible, just kind of flying over it, and I'm telling you, as I think about the book of 1 Thessalonians, it is amazing uh, how much meat, and I just would, I think we could stay there a whole year uh, thinking about this one book of the Bible, and uh, we'll look at this and, uh, and evaluate a few thoughts. Go, to, if you would please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 1. Are you there? Let's read it together. Can we please? Let's go ahead and read um, the first. Thessalonians. Three verses together, would you please? Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you that ye have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, that ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. We'll read other verses here, but I want to notice in verse number one, he says, how you ought to walk and to please God. I think the book of 1 Thessalonians, really the theme could be pleasing the Lord. We'll talk about that momentarily. Let's pray together. Can we please, Father in heaven, thank you for the joy of being a part of the local church. Thank you for the word of God that gives us strength and and, uh, points us to your person. I pray you'd please speak to my heart. Help me be a blessing to our friends this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a little bit of background. The Apostle Paul, you can read about in Acts chapter 17. He has been in Philippi, and of course, we we studied the book of Philippians not too long ago, and you remember that uh, Lydia and her husband, and then the demon-possessed damsel, and then the Philippian jailer gets saved. But after they got beaten, after the after Philippian jailer got saved, the next day they went to Lydia's house for a short time, and then they made their way to Thessalonica. When they went there, it seems like a few Jews got saved, more Gentiles got saved, but some of the Jewish uh, leaders were very upset, and they stirred up, and the Bible says they acquested or they, they hired men of baser sort, some really some thugs. They hired some thugs, to threaten Paul and and Silas and Timothy and to get them out of town. The Bible says they were there three Sabbath days. So they were there on at least three uh, Sabbath days, Saturdays in our time, and then uh, maybe as much as a month, but not very long. But in that time, God had used them to win numerous people to the Lord Jesus Christ. But because of the threat upon their lives bodily, it was thought best, and even the believers in that town felt it best to get Paul out, and they went to the next town, Berea. Berea was uh, some miles away, but by the way, in that month, uh, that month they were there, two times the church at Philippi collected money and brought it to him and uh, to Timothy and, and Silas. They thought to themselves, you know what? He's good at making tents, but he's better at giving the gospel. Let's work and let's, let's relieve him. And they were the only church at the time that really caught on to giving and receiving. The Bible says no other church did that. But they sent once and again to his necessity when uh, the, someone from their church took the 30-mile, 40-mile hike over there, dropped off financial support, did it again in the same month he was there. But they moved on to Berea. He did make a comment about that, those of Berea, The Christians there were more noble than those of Thessalonica because when they heard the word of God, they didn't just say that was a good message. They went home and searched the scriptures to see if those things be so. By the way, I would want to be a part of a local church that people love the Bible, believe the Bible, read the Bible, study the Bible. And you'll see that in this passage of scripture. He'll say in chapter 3, he says, listen, study to be quiet. Work with your own hands as we've commanded you. He reminds them in chapter 4, I think, to to do that. He reminded them they needed to study. And it may have been a weakness of this particular church. Well, the apostle Paul goes to Berea, and then the thugs are sent over there as well. And so Paul thought it best that he would go on to Athens. And when he went to Athens, he sent Timothy and Silas back to Thessalonica. Paul seemed to be the the lightning rod wherever he went, started a revival or a riot, and usually the latter there. And so he said, look, I'll go on to Athens. You guys go back and disciple the new converts there at Thessalonica. When Timothy came, it looks like he brought them a letter. And a letter from the the Thessalonican Christians, and that's when Paul now is in, in, he's left Athens, he goes into Corinth, and they show up at Corinth, he witnesses there, and he stays there a year and a half in Corinth, and God really gives him a fruitful ministry, in which he wrote several books of the Bible, 1 Thessalonians being one of them. But he writes back to these group of people, he only spent no more than four weeks with them, we don't think, no more than a month, but they had lots of questions for him. One of their questions was what happens when a Christian dies? This afternoon I stood in the, um, on the property of Memory Lane with a family beside the casket of Roger Mullinex and their beautiful family are here this evening. Aren't you glad that a family would go through difficulty and not miss church on a Wednesday night? And a very difficult day for them, we would love to see you and I'm so glad. But we stood there and I referenced this passage of scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter four, because he says in that passage of scripture, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning the things that you wrote to me. So you wrote to me. I want to make sure you know what happens when someone dies who's in the Lord. You can sorrow, but don't sorrow as those who have no hope. And because we have God's word on it, that he's going to come back again. So he he writes in that. They have other questions about morality. And uh, he writes to them, and he uses much of the book, 1 uh, Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 1 and talks to them through verse number 8 on sanctification. He teaches them on the knowing how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor and not be guilty of being a fornicator. Uh, don't get caught up in sexual sins. They're very trapping. They're very immoral. They're, they're complicating. They will uh, keep us from pleasing the Lord. But they ask him numbers of questions, but he writes back these, these, this past scripture. And it's interesting to me that if you put 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians together, you'll have 20 poignant and obvious references to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And speaking of the rapture, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, 20 times uh, you'll see a reference saying, Jesus is coming again. And uh, you'll see it at the end of every chapter of 1 Thessalonians. If you look at the end of each chapter, you'll see a reference to the coming of Christ in every single one of the closing chapters, or, uh, at the close of every chapter of uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number, uh, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Now, with that in mind, by the way, for new Christians, he taught them somewhere in there about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, if he was excited about it then, should you be excited about it today? <laughs> should we be excited about it? Yes. And I'd like to read what, G- what John said, even so, Lord Jesus... Come quickly, get here. We look forward to having you come. In the meantime, we should occupy and be faithful to the Lord while we wait. And you can see that in this passage of Scripture as well. Here's just a couple things here. Here's the outline. I'll give it to you quickly. Once again, the main theme, and as I see it, is pleasing the Lord, pleasing God. But the outline, chapter 1, pleasing God as an example to others. Pleasing God is an example. Now, these were new Christians, but they had, had developed a real good testimony. By the way, your sermons whisper, but your life shouts. And sometimes people don't hear what you're saying because your life is too loud. Boy, being a good testimony is really important. People are watching you. People in the family are watching you. Some, some of you have been saved in the last several, several years, and you're frustrated because your family has not come to know Christ. And sometimes family are the hardest people to win. Sometimes neighbors, I find, are very difficult to win because they know you're not going to move, <laughs> and, you know, and they, they're sometimes more challenging. But one thing I have found about neighbors and family is that your life is very, very loud. Do not substitute giving them the gospel. Look for opportunities to share the gospel of Christ. Confront them with the, with the gospel. The gospel is the most powerful thing on the planet. But you've got to be a good testimony. Because if, you, if you're if you not a good testimony, what you have to say. If people don't trust you, they will not trust what you tell them. So let's look at a couple things here. Look at verse number seven of chapter one, would you please? First Thessalonians chapter one. Let me ask all the men to read that, would you please? Let's pick a six and seven. Gentlemen, are you ready? And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word with much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost. Verse seven, everyone so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. He says, and from you, verse eight, sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abor- abroad so that we need not speak anything. We don't have to tell everybody about you. There's been an obvious change in you. And of course, you'll see in verse number nine and 10 that they turn, they turn from idols to the true and living God. And uh, it pleases God when you have a good example for him. Everywhere you go, everything you do, everything I do, I am not just representing me. I'm not just representing our church. I'm representing the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you want people to adorn the gospel. Uh, girls that are younger girls, how you conduct yourself in your home as young wives and mothers gives others a good opinion of God. I think one of the reasons that marriage is so important is because a good marriage... The number one reason for a marriage, in my opinion, is to give others a good opinion of God. It's his idea. It's to bring glory to him. And that's why when marriages go cattywampus and they're not what they ought to be, uh, the the, the devil laughs all the way to hell's bank and reminds others, you know, see, they're Christians and they couldn't figure it out either. I don't think sometimes people say, well, the, the divorce rate in the world and the church is the same. I don't know if I believe that. Not in the churches I go to. But I, at the same time, uh, there are challenges, and there are challenges right now in this very room, no doubt, between marriages and things of that nature. But, boy, we want to do our best to keep a marriage uh, a, a good because it's a good testimony for Christ at the workplace. Most of us will spend most of our adult life at work. And that's where most people will see you, and they'll see have a chance to see Christ. They will not darken the door of many church services, but you are the only Bible this careless world will read. You're the sinner's gospel, you're the scoffer's creed, you're the Lord's last message. Given deed and word, what if the type is crooked? What if the print is blurred? What if our hands are busy doing other things than his? What if our feet are walking where sin's allurement is? What if our lips are speaking of things that this life should spurn? How can we hope to help and serve the Lord and welcome his return? Hey, let's be a sermon and choose. Uh, We please God by being a good example. Chapter 2 and 3 speaks of pleasing God as a soul winner and as a discipler. You'll see in chapters 2 and 3, and I'd love to go through this, but he talks a little bit about what he did to help them grow so rapidly. Some of the things he said, he, he suffered. He was steadfast. He was sincere. He was not tricking people. He understood stewardship. It wasn't his work. And I think it's important that you understand, too. I think you'll do a better job in most cases, and you'll handle problems much difficult. If I I thought that every problem at First Baptist Church was my problem, I'd go to the funny farm. I have to realize this church is not mine. It's the Lord's. And you have to understand your home is not yours, your house is not yours, and it takes a lot of pressure off when you understand you're managing this. Someone else owns it. And the same is true with your Sunday school class, your bus route. You ought to be asking God, what do you want out of this bus route? What can I do? What is the way you'd like for me to do it? I think it changes everything, but especially when we're working with people, he gave several things. If you're going to work with people and be successful, there is no success without some suffering and some sacrifice. And he tells about that in this passage of Scripture. There's no success without an understanding of stewardship. There's no success without being sincere. Most people can spot a phony really and don't trust a phony. If you're just trying to get someone to church so your son's going to be proud of you, it's going it's to bleed through. If you're just trying to get counting heads, it's going to bleed through. If you really care about people, that's going to bleed through. He said, I didn't come into you with enticing words. He shared that in other past scripture, or trying to trick you, or not deceit. No, it's just as sincere. He says, sometimes I came to you as a nurse, gentle, like a little mother would nurse her baby. Sometimes I came to you as a dad, and I charged you, and I challenged you. But you see that he began to talk in chapters 2 and 3, that he won them to Christ, but he helped them. And oftentimes I've, tell, I've shared this with you before, the reason that more people don't disciple people is because it's work, it's commitment, it's time. And it's not easy to have a baby, but it's easier to have a baby than it's to raise one. It's not easy to win people to Christ, but it's easier to win some to Christ and uh, than it is to disciple them to spiritual maturity. And many folks are not willing to put the time in, to put the prayer in, to put up uh, with the puking and with the problems and with the little fits and things of nature that go with growing. But all of us need to decide. And in Apostle Paul, you can see, you say, Pastor, I want to be a good disciple. Stay for a few days in First Thessalonians 2 and 3. Look at what he said, what he did, and say, God, would you help me do that? I think you'll find some growing Christians in the wake of obedience in that way. So we, we please the Lord by uh, learning to win others to Christ and disciple new converts. Look at number th- letter uh, the next one, Let, l- Roman number number th- three. Pleasing God in personal holiness. We please God by being an example, by being a soul winner. disciple. We also please the Lord by being personally holy. Let's real quickly take a few moments to look at this. Chapter four, would you please? I think holiness is powerful. What do you think about that? I think we need more holiness, more purity in our lives. Uh, the Bible says the wicked, someone who is not holy, flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous, what are they? Bows the line." There's something about being pure that's very powerful. Any, anyone can be a pervert. Anybody can be a thief. Anybody can be a gossip, but boy, to be pure in your mouth and pure in your motives and pure in your morals is a beautiful thing, and it brings great glory to the Lord, and Apostle Paul tells them in the context here, he says, I want you to be someone who walks and pleases God, and he says the first way you'll do that is by being clean morally. Don't be in fornication. Know how to possess your own vessel, that's talking about your own body, in sanctification and honor. Let's look at verse number four, can we please? Chapter four, verse number four. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Verse number five, not in the lust of concupiscence. That kind of means creating desires for things that are forbidden. Concupiscence, it may be in other things, and other contexts, but I like that particular definition. Concupiscence, creating appetites for things that are that are forbidden. It's the problem with pornography. It's a problem with a dirty joke. It's a problem with hugging and, and kissing and hand-holding and petting and all those things prior to marriage. Well, you're creating desires for something that's not rightful yet. It's causing some problems there. He said, not in the lust of concupiscence. Look at verse number, verse number 5. Even as the Gentiles was knowing God, that's how the unsaved people deal with that. But you're not, you're not saved. You're saved now. You live differently. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter because the Lord, the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also have forewarned you and testified. When you and I uh, are taking liberties physically with anyone that we're not supposed to be, uh, or being a fornicator, an adulterer, or creating those kind of things, living in concupiscence, we are we are hurting not only ourselves, but other people. He said you're defrauding other people. You're hurting others in the process. Now look, if you would please, at verse number 7. Read it out loud with me, would you please? For God hath not called us unto, but unto... Once again, the passage is about living out, uh, pleasing God through personal holiness. Verse number 8. He therefore that despises not man, but God who hath given to us his spirit. And By the way, I think this is talking about we pleasing God through sanctified lives, but also by being spirit-filled listeners. Here's what happens oftentimes when you hear a message from your Sunday school teacher, from your pastor, from a preacher, and you don't like it. It takes a little bit of spirit, you know, that you want your pastor and you want your preacher to be spirit-filled. How many have prayed, God, give us a spirit-filled message today? How many have prayed that sometimes? Sure. But, you know, there's, there's a two-way street there. Who else is supposed to be spirit-filled? The listener. He said, whenever you don't, some folks, when we listen, we hear truth. Now, I know that sometimes pastors will say things are more opinions rather than God's word and preferences and things of that nature. But when you hear truth, don't despise truth apply it accept it get it straightened out don't don't try to fight it off don't say "Well, that's how a pastor believes you might want to say what does god say about that god is pleased when we have sanctified lives when we're spirit-filled listeners when we we don't despise what we hear is truth then look at the next thing that the bible tells us, if we can please at the next statement in verse number nine, and as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And I love that particular thought. We need sibling love, brotherly love, that just is natural, not something we have to, he said, I don't have to spend a lot of time teaching you how to love. If you'll spend time with God, you'll know how to love one another. Verse number 10, and indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia, but, ye bes- and, and, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. He said, you do it in your area, but I want you to do it more and more outside your area. Don't you think every Christian ought to be a local and a global Christian? Don't you think you ought to be seeing people saved around the corner, around the world? He says, look, you're doing, you're doing a good job sharing the love in Macedonia there in Thessalonica, but I want you to increase more and more. I want you to get a global mindset. These are things that please the Lord in holiness. And if you keep on going, let's just read the the next verse, verse 11, and read it out loud with me, would you please? And that ye study to be and to do your own and to work with your own as we have commanded you. And of course, these were Grecian people influenced heavily by Grecian, which the thought was, if if you're not very smart, you work with your hands. But if you're smart, all you do is sit around circles and talk about ideas. Okay. And so they had bought into that, and, and Paul's telling them, "Listen, study to be quiet. Do your own business. Stay in your own side of the fence. Work with your own hands, as I've commanded you. Don't don't fall into this stuff. I got to get money easy, or I just all I do is just talk, and that's all I do. Hey, listen, don't be away. Don't be afraid to exercise physical manual labor. Uh, and uh, some people think that." You know, manual labor is, is the president of Mexico, but actually, it's uh, really someone who works. Okay, uh, it's just somebody who does something. Stay busy. He uh, said, "Pastor, I don't get paid for that. Just work." God, God, God rewards hard-working people, and diligence is important. We see it here as the Apostle Paul is challenging these Macedonian Christians of Thessalonica. Okay, the fifth, the, the next thing, we please God in our example to others. We please God by being a soul winner, a disciple. We please God through personal holiness. We please God at his coming. We want to be pleasing to God at his coming. And uh, look, if you would please, at chapter 5 and verse number 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be. What do you think we're watching for? Several things. And Jesus told the disciples, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. But I think also he wants us to keep looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. you remember when you were a child and your parents went to the grocery store and said, when we come back, we want this, this, and this done? And you said, oh yeah, mom and dad would have a good time, you know, and then all of a sudden you get distracted. You're doing all this other stuff, and all of a sudden you see them driving the driveway, and you don't have any of that done. That's a miserable feeling, isn't it? I think many Christians are going to feel that way when the Lord comes back. They're going to say, oh no, I've got caught with my hand in the cookie jar. Got caught my, with myself not doing what I'm supposed to do. That's why the Bible tells occupy till He comes, and that definitely is one of the influential thoughts and, uh, of Apostle Paul and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to this church. Uh, pleasing God at his coming. Of course, you'll talk about the rapture of the church. You can see it. Let's just look at it. Chapter 4. Um, the Bible tells us, verse number 15 to the end of the chapter For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive remain, the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. He's saying, Look, if uh, uh, this is, we have God's word on it. He said, uh, People that If the Lord Jesus comes, they'll go first, those who are already dead and sleep in Jesus. Verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from where? With a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And he'll begin talking to him about that. The last thing in outline of this, of this book, pleasing God in our relationships, verses 12 through 18. I think it's good for us to read that real quickly. He wants them to be comforted with the coming of Christ in verse 11, chapter 5, verse number 12 and 13. Ladies, would you read verse number 12? Guys, join them on 13. Are you ready, girls? Here we go. And we beseech you, brethren, which are labor among you and are over you in the Lord. Verse 12, 13, everyone, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. He teaches us here now that we please the Lord by our, our right relationships. And, and he says, look, if you're in a church family, he said, esteem, love those that labor among you and know them and esteem them very highly in love because of what they do for the Lord. Should you love the nursery workers of our church? Yeah, because what they do is very important to the work of the Lord. Should you appreciate the uh, security guards? Should should you appreciate the bus drivers and the bus workers and the Sunday school teachers and the choir members. Everybody ought to be esteemed very highly in love for what they do for the Lord Jesus Christ. And to those that are among you and those who are over you in the Lord. Your Sunday school teacher ought to be some, if you're in a Sunday school class, your Sunday school superintendent. What they do is very important. You ought to do your best to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And do what you can to show the love of Christ to them. And then one of the best things you can do for the work of the Lord is be at peace among yourself. You ever take a trip with some folks who are just always arguing back and forth? You know, we have a large family, and so, boy, the kids start fussing around in the back. And when I was growing up, I did the same thing. We had four boys and two girls. And my dad, he would get, nothing would get any more frustrated than we would mess around with each other. You know, we'd flick one of the boys on the ear, you know, and back and forth. and. You know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurt you, man. You better quit doing that. And that dad said, all right, knock it off, knock it off, knock it off, knock it off. And then sure enough, we'd start again. My dad had the longest right arm you ever saw in your life. He'd driving, whack, you know, and whack. And we'd all be climbing up against the windows, you know, to get away from that long right arm. But he would just say, John, Mac, just get along. Come on, man. Quit quit fighting. Why are you arguing with each other? Love each other. And boy, he'd make us hug each other. I love you. And I'm like, I don't really love you, but I'm doing it because dad told me to. Oh, he would, he would get so frustrated with us. And I know what that's like now, because I've had that to do that a few times myself now. But he says, look, one of the best things you can do in your ministry is be at peace among yourself. Boy, some folks are just they're just drama mamas. Always dreaming up something. If there's any kind of a problem, it's, you know what's going to be around them. They're just not going to be happy with it. And he said, that's not how we show the love of Christ. It's not how we get along in relationship. We'd be at peace. And peace has to be made. Blessed are the peace. It has to be made. And you have to be responsible. If you, it doesn't happen just because you want it. It happens because we make it. And, and that's part of having the Prince of Peace inside of us. Okay, real quickly, let's, uh, let's continue with a couple goals and so we can please God by example, soul winning, and discipling others, being holy, waiting for his coming, anticipating his coming, and then of course our relationships. Here's a couple goals to pursue. Number one, uh, based upon the, the book of 1 Thessalonians, I would just challenge us, have a life that is worthy of God. Would you look at chapter 2, verse number 12, would you please? Chapter 2, verse number 12, and let's read it together. Are you ready? That ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you into his kingdom and glory. I don't know about you, but I'd like, to, I'd like to live my life in such a way that my life would give worth to the God that loved me so much. I'd walk worthy of him. Um, I, want, I want, when, when someone uh, meets Linda, I would want that I would be a good testimony for Linda. I wouldn't embarrass her, wouldn't shame her, vice versa. I think that's important, but how much more that should be for God. Have it, live a life. Well, I don't know what pastor thinks about this, or how about this person thinks, this is what you most ought to do is live in a, an audience of one. <laughs> Walk worthy of God. When a man's ways please the Lord, even his enemies can be at peace with him. Look at the next one, if you would, please. Goals based upon this in his coming again. Live a life worthy of God. Number two, have a heart that is open to God's word. Would you look at verse 13, chapter 2, verse 13. Have a heart that's very receptive. I just wanna say, before we read this verse, I am very thankful for the men and women of this church. There's so many good attributes you have, but one thing I love is that through the DNA of this church over 134 years, and through Brother Hiles, and through Brother Scott and through uh, this ministry, people have really been open to seeing what does the Bible say. And I think it's very important, but our hearts need to be re- receptive. It needs to make sure that it affects our thinking our feelings, our desires. Look, if you would please, verse 13. Let's read out loud together. Are you ready? Chapter 2, verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because that when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, which effectually worketh also in you that By the way, faith and the Word of God go together. Then the fourth thing, real quickly, goals to pursue. A heart that's open to God, a life that's worthy of God, a faith that is durable in trials of life. Chapter 3, verse number 2. But let's look at verse number 1. A faith that is durable, that, that, will, that will continue through the difficulties and the trials of life. Wherefore, when we could no longer bear, forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. He said, after there, I felt like I should stay at Athens and I'll send you guys. And then it says, and he sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. And then verse number three, are you ready? That no man should be moved by these afflictions for yourselves know that we are appointed therein What are you appointed to? You're appointed to have some afflictions from time to time. And you think about Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20 when he said, none of these things move me. What doesn't move him? The problems of life are not going to move him. He's still going to do what, he's going to finish his course with joy. He's not let problems to that. People are not going to move him. Uh, pride is not going to move him. Boy, nothing quite messes with you like pride does. Focused on how you think, how I think, what I want, how I feel. Boy, don't let people, don't let problems, don't let pride move you. Um, let's make sure that we've got that straightened out. And he says, look, it's, it's, if you're a child of God, you're appointed to have some afflictions. Don't run away from it, but expect, say, God, give me faith to endure it. Um, James chapter 1, verse number 12. Blessed is he that endureth temptation or trials. When he is tried, he'll receive the crown of life, which the Lord give it to anyone who loves him. Boy, loving God is shown how I handle problems and difficulties. Last thought, real quickly: a love that transcends personal feelings. A love that transcends personal feelings. Here are a couple goals. Number one, a life that's worthy of God. Two, a heart that is receptive and ready to receive God's word. A faith that is durable in trials of life. And a love that transcends personal feelings. When it's all said and done, it's going to be, do we have charity out of a pure heart? Do we have a conscience that's clean? And do we have a faith that's real? But love is going to be that boiling down. It boils down to it. It's not going to be about rules. It's going to be about love. It's not going to be about. It's going to. You, your your deeper your love for Christ goes, the higher your ceiling of commitment goes. When our love is shallow, then our our so our, our ceiling of commitment is low. Someone said, when your love is thick, your other people's faults are thin. When your love is thin, other people's faults are thick. And boy, that is true. And he says, look, let's have a love that transcends. Uh, Faults and Challenges of Others, and and May It Be Glorifying to the Lord. A great book of the Bible. Let me encourage you. Take time to read it. it. You can do it. You can do it in just a few minutes. You can read the book of 1 Thessalonians, and you'll be richer for it, and maybe apply some things that can help us.